right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to our most recent uh, episode of the podcast uh, with today's victim, I mean guest, uh, my buddy Joe Beers of Integrity Outsource. Uh, welcome, Joe. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Pat. Glad to be here. It's good. So uh, with all of these, I start at the beginning. So we're, we're going to talk about Joe, and then we're going to talk about the PEO industry. Right? So we're going to do we're going to do both. We cover both of them today. So start at the beginning. So where does Joe Beer's start story begin? Were you born in Phoenix or not? Where- it, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> um, yeah, I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, and I, I'm the youngest of five siblings. And all of my siblings, including my parents, all moved, and I'm the only one that stayed in Phoenix. And I I don't quite understand why. I'm pretty happy here. What's the weather? It is the weather. It is the weather. Yeah, no kidding. Um, okay, so uh, oh, other than, uh, and so my last question today is going to be something we don't know about you, but I'm going to jump ahead to that, which is, uh, uh, so somewhere in school, there's somewhere you were in school with some of the Tiger King uh, celebrities. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, right? I forgot about that. Right. High school? Yeah. Was that high school? No, it was actually grade school. Um uh, Kevin Antle is Doc Antle, yeah. and Kevin was a year older than me in grade school, and I, I guess high school too. And then his his younger brother Barry is uh, a year younger than me, and Barry and I are still friends to this day. I haven't seen Kevin in forty years; he wouldn't know me from Adam, I don't think. Um, but yeah, there you go. You haven't seen I haven't seen him in a, in a in a tiger's age. Uh, yeah. So okay. So through grade school and high school, and then uh, poorly educated at the college level. Am I right about that? Yes. Yes. I uh, uh, went to the public university down the road. I, I have a family of scholars. I'm uh, I'm actually the first person in three generations to be in business. Everyone in my family is either a doctor, a lawyer, or a professor or a teacher. And so I didn't have any mentorship business-wise, but yeah, my, my family is um, Stanford and UCLA and Columbia and Occidental and Pitzer. And, and I went down to the little U of A, Arizona, that is. And uh, what would you major in? I was majoring in business economics. Okay. And uh, quite frankly, I, my, my freshman year, we had to take a microeconomics class and we had a instructor, I can't remember his name, but he, he was a, a Marine, an ex-Marine, big guy with a crew cut. And he spoke on a big stadium or a big uh, auditorium stage. And he presented his topic so amazingly well. Wow. The last day of class, he walked into the auditorium, he got a standing ovation. Wow. And and if he had been teaching finance, I probably would have been a finance major. I mean, just one of those things where it was like, wow, I love this. It makes perfect sense. And it aligned with kind of how I think of things anyways, which is I, I've always looked at things in kind of a a benefit cost kind of relationship. It's like, well, you know, what's the upside? What's the downside? So it, it fit well for me. Isn't it amazing how a teacher can make such an impact? Oh, totally. On your life, right? It, and at the time, Arizona, I don't know how they are now, but they had an excellent economics department. I had a macro teacher who was on Reagan's Economic Advisory Council. Wow. And so he would come in on Monday morning after spending the weekend in DC and he would tell us stuff that would happen. It would hit the Wall Street Journal like on Thursday and we'd know it on Monday as students. Wow. And it was you just felt really dialed in. It was it was yeah. really it was an awesome experience. That's pretty cool. Wasn't there a uh, a, a political campaign for student body president along the way, <laughs> and a memorable yeah. slogan? Yes, uh, I, I ran for student body president. The slogan was "It's time for beers," which you know it's a winner. You know, um, you know, lesson one: know your audience. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right? 
right? So when did you begin, uh, you know, a misspent life on golf? Was that in college or? Well, no, actually, you know, I grew up in a golfing family. My parents both play and my, my brothers are 12, 10 and seven years older than me. And my brothers that are 12 and 10 years older were both uh, exceptionally good amateur players. Mm -hmm. um, brother Mike went to University of Arizona. He was he didn't play on the team. He was on and off the team, but he was, he was, he probably would have been the best player on the team, but he had, it was a late sixties and he had some, uh, he had some authority figure issues like the coach. <laughs> um, and my, my brother, John was, was state high school champ. And then uh, is a good answer to a trivia question. He's the first freshman in the history of Stanford to get a varsity letter in golf. Wow. And he walked on and uh, made the team. He was undefeated his sophomore year. He played number two behind a, a guy that uh, had a lackluster career named Tom Watson. Jeez. So Watson, I knew Watson from the time I was about 10. Um, he stayed at our house, you know, for a week once. And yeah, it was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah, this so is. So I, I felt, I mean, I was seven. They were, you know, playing high level golf and and I knew they weren't very big and I wasn't going to be very big. And it's like, I, I got no future in, in anything else. And so I, I picked up a club at about age seven and. I just fell in love with it, which which happens to golf. And when you hit a couple shots and you just you marvel at at, at the beauty of a of a well struck ball and spend the rest I, of your life chasing. I, I don't know that feeling, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I know the beauty of a ball that goes in the water. I, I know I know what that looks. We like. We all know that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, when did you start your involvement in Sigma Chi? Well, I actually went down to the University of Arizona. Um, I, I thought I was going to play collegiate golf. And that had been my plan. I, you know, I had the same pros and, 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 uh, and, and high school coaches that my brothers had had were all around. And I just got, I, I got a head full of them telling me I had a better swing. I was stronger. I mean, everything about my game was better. Mm -hmm. So I had these delusional, you know, high aspirations and I really wanted to go to Arizona state. Um, and the, the coach there had gone to my high school, had grown up at the same country club, had the same teachers, the same coaches, and for whatever reason, the guy just didn't really care for me, which was just kind of bizarre. I had a lot of people in his ear that that they should be looking at me. And the University of Arizona coach came to me and said, hey, you know, I, I don't have a scholarship, but please come to Arizona. I'd love to have you on the team. And we'll talk about a scholarship sophomore year. Come on down. And and so I went down there thinking, you know, at the time I was one of the, you know, I would, the way Arizona was there in Pat, we had two guys that were easily the two best in the state. One was the best in the country. He went to Oklahoma State and ended up being rookie of the year on the tour and uh, NCAA player of the year later. So, I mean, he he didn't almost didn't even count. Then there's about 10 of us that were about dead even. Mm -hmm. And and I so I had friends that were on both teams, ASU and U of A, that I'd grown up with. So I thought, well, I can play with those guys. If, I can, if I'm top five or 10 in Arizona, I can play anywhere. Yeah. So I went down to Arizona and, man, there's 30 guys as good as me. <laughs> I mean, it's just like every other college athlete or high school athlete, right? You think, yeah. oh man, I'm really good. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I, I I clearly don't have the game. I could maybe barely make the team, maybe. And so I I didn't I didn't make the team my freshman year. Uh my sophomore year, I went through fraternity rush. And uh that's when I joined Sigma Chi. And it uh it it's been, you know, one of the biggest parts of my life ever since. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to get back to that a little bit later, but I, I know how important it is to you and how much time you've spent, how dedicated you've been to it. Um, so then how how do you uh, connect the dots then from uh, the, from college to the PEO industry? How on earth? You know, if, if golf doesn't ruin your life, then the PEO industry most certainly will. 
<laughs> yeah, and and now I'm a terrible golfer now. It's it's too much work to to do anything. But it actually going back even earlier in high school, I was working at the country club in the bag room, cleaning clubs and caddying and picking up the driving range. And I just kind of did a sociology experiment in my head as I'm sitting there looking at these really successful guys that are coming out and playing golf. And my dad was a doctor. And it just occurred to me that the doctors and the lawyers and the dentists all worked until they dropped dead. Mm-hmm. And and when we went on vacation, my dad still had the same overhead yeah. and he had to pay his nurses and his malpractice insurance and all that stuff. And we were on vacation. So he's spending money, making no money and still has the same cost. So he's going backwards yeah. and he's playing golf twice a week. And then the guy that is running the nut and bolt wholesale company is playing golf five days a week. He's making five <laughs> times the money my dad's making. And it's like, I'm going into business. Yeah. And and that that's kind of how it started. And when I got out of college, I what what's pretty typical in Arizona is commercial real estate. Everybody goes to work in commercial real estate. So yeah. I spent the first 10 years of my career in commercial real estate uh-huh. on the on the owner side of of things, either doing management or development or leasing or something like that. And and everything from commercial office to land development to to lots of stuff. And and from there, I the industry cratered in, in the late eighties with the tax reform act. And, um, I couldn't find a job. I ended up selling work comp insurance for a couple of years and that's kind of introduced me to comp. So I, I understood that pretty well. And then I got back into real estate and, uh, a friend, you know, it's, it, I'll make a short story out of it, but a friend said, Hey, I, I got a friend starting a company. Um, everything this guy's done is turned to gold. You should call him. And it was an employee leasing company. And I don't know if you remember if you were, ever were around when Employee Solutions was around, but they were they were kind of the darling child. Okay. They were kind of on par with Insperity when Insperity was administered. And so this guy, uh, I had a friend that worked for them. He gave me some tips on the interview. I went in and interviewed, and um, on the spot, the owner offered me a job, and I'm like. You know, he's like, I've interviewed 13 people. I don't like any of them. When can you start? And I'm like, you know, no offense, but I never heard of you. I never heard of this. It's like, <laughs> I got to do some due diligence. So I, I had a, had a good friend who's, who's since passed away, but he's one of the top, top tax attorneys in, in Arizona, partner at a big law firm. So I called him and we went out for Coke and said, Hey, just want to pick your brain on something. And I go, have you ever heard of employee leasing? And he owed, he had some side businesses and I go, would you do it? Have you ever heard of it? He goes, Oh no, I lease all my employees now. He goes, you take that job. I would switch to you tomorrow. Wow. And I'm like, okay, this guy's a tax attorney and that's a pretty hefty. Yeah. Well, it's clearly legitimate. So I thought I'll, I'll try this for 90 days. Cause I know, I mean, my Rolodex, I can get enough friends and own businesses. I'll find out if this is real or not. And if it's not, I'll just go hang my license with Crispin Wakefield or whoever and schlep it out with my friends. Sure. And um, about 30 days in, I'd sign a couple of big deals and I'm like, why doesn't every business do this? Yeah. Yeah. And and I've been I've been hooked ever since. I, I love small business, and you know I've been hooked from the day I started on this thing. I just I think it's yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So how long were you with them? Oh, uh, that was a startup. They kind of hoodwinked me. It was DHR. They hoodwinked me into thinking it was this big going concern. <laughs> and I showed up the first day, and I'm like, "Where is everybody? <laughs> we're all here, you know, all three of us." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, well, where's my computer?" And they go, "Well, we all share that one over there." Ah, uh, mm. how about, how about where's the marketing material? <laughs> as soon as you write it, we'll have some. So uh, I got the idea. Okay. So we started from a dead stop, knowing nothing about the industry. 
And we we got from zero to 12,500 employees in two and a half years. Good and Lord. and we grew it in seven years to 45,000. And at the time, Administaff was kind of the big flagship in the industry. And we just looked at how they did things and we questioned everything. Why do they do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, and just like a simple shortcut is we would do a proposal mm-hmm. and we get a yes. And then we go back with a contract. And a sales guy came back to me and he goes, why do we have a proposal? Why isn't our contract the proposal? And I'm like, great idea. So we cut out the proposal yep. and, and we went, we had, we had, where's an amazing sales machine. I was there 10 years. We, uh, you know, I priced probably four to 5,000 deals in that time. Jeez. And, and, um, we had a close ratio of about 52%. Our, our median close time from how do you do to sign contract was seven days. Jeez. We, we signed 75% of our business within, um, 30 days of meeting somebody and we met and we signed 25% of our business within 24 hours of meeting somebody. So, I mean, it was, it was a sales machine. So how, and can that be replicated? Because I know people who listen want to know, like, what, how do you, how do you do that? I'm doing the opposite at at integrity outsourcing. There's very specific reasons for that. Um, You, in doing that, um, you just go in, you know, the, the, the PEO and I'm a contrarian, a lot of things. That's why I waited so long to get on the board because I have a very different view than most people. I've listened to all your podcasts and I'm going to be the black sheep here. Probably. Um, we would never mention employee leasing or PEO or anything. It's like going to the, it's like going to a doctor and he's explaining the American medical association to you. I mean, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, we would just go, let me ask you about your business. And as soon as you bring up something that hurts, we go, if I could fix that, would you be willing to look at numbers? And they go, Oh, yeah, I'll look at numbers. What do you need? What do you need for me to get numbers? And then we'd go, well, you know what? We just happen to bring numbers with us. Mm. And we'd show them. And, and our, so our close ratio was high. We just solve a problem. Okay. And then once they got running a couple of payrolls, we go back in and go, oh, by the way, here's 20 other things you didn't know you were getting for the same price. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just worked. The problem yeah. with that, with that, Pat, is you can grow really fast, yeah. but you create massive chaos with your operational staff. Mm. And so they are unhappy all the time. They are stressed all the time and a lot, a lot of stuff falls through the cracks. Yep. And, and our, our model here is very different than that for a myriad of reasons, but yeah. Yep. yep. I was going to say, it's funny. I said an earlier episode. So I was talking to somebody outside the industry, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and they said, what, what do your members lead with? Do they lead with comp? Do they lead with healthcare? You know, the salespeople. And I said, I think the most effective salespeople lead by, by listening. Oh yeah, I would. Right. I don't lead with anything. I ask, you said that. Yeah, yeah. I just get them talking about what you know. Why are you a sheetrocker? Why? Why'd you go into this business? What works? What doesn't work? What do you hate about it? Yep. And as soon as you ask, what do you hate about it? It's always something we do, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, it's just explosive growth. I mean, that that that's just unbelievable. But you're right. I'm sure that creates a load on. All the ops people too, right? Right. So, uh, how long were you DHR, and then what happened next? Well, I was at, I was there for ten years, mm-hmm. and our our model was to amass a giant village and then sell that village to somebody to service it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we amassed a giant village, and we were going to market. We engaged a, a firm out of LA to either take us public or take us to market, and they were working on the on the book, and we're getting ready to do the the road show, and a guy in town. There was a, a gazillionaire got word that we were doing that and came into our office and offered um, 
roughly double what the company was worth, all cash, closing in two weeks, no due diligence. <laughs> and and our owner um, turned it down. And he, he used to, we had four guys that ran the company, the owner and the three VPs. And he used to say to me, I, I know you the least, but I trust you the most and I listen to you the most. So what do you think? And I'm like, dude, you got to take the deal. We're we about to run off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. You know, we yeah. got these people are going to start asking for all the stuff we sold them. We didn't build a service company. We built a sales company. Yeah. And we got one HR person. We need like 15 of them. Yeah. So, I mean, we got to sell this thing to somebody that can like build. It was like a Hollywood set. It was beautiful on the front, but there's nothing behind it. And um, so he turned it down and I was 10 years in and I just, we all had liquidity deals. So I said, look, I, I love you, but I got to go. I can't, I'm not going to, if you're not going to sell for twice what it's worth, then you're never going to sell. And, and so I left after 10 years, which is about 2007. I didn't have a non-compete contract, but you know, a lot of the proprietary stuff that we had and used, I had developed and I was a key executive and you, you got to honor that, that, that information. So our non-compete was one year. I waited five years. Um, and then after I started integrity, integrity outsource, I very purposely didn't ever contact any of the employees or any of the of the of the clients we had. I just just didn't. I mean, I built this thing with guys I liked and respected, and it's like yep. there's plenty of business out there. I don't need to go poach any you know any old stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that seemed like the right thing to do. But what'd you do for the five years in between? Were you working? I went back into commercial state commercial real estate right, right. at the wrong time. Yeah, and and a partner and I had five really good commercial real estate uh, developments going. And then the bottom dropped out and everything hit uh, 50% value. And I, I literally took every penny I had ever made up to age 50 and gave it to the bank. Um, so I went from literally went from private jet on vacations, beautiful seven series, making a ton of money to, I can't buy groceries in like 18 months. So I mean, I went how from, you, how do you survive something like that? It, for me, it's faith. I mean, it's, you know what, it's all, it's all. You know, it's all, as Ecclesiastes says, it's meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Yeah. You know, you just, okay. You know what? We never slept outside. We uh, we had friends surround us and help us. And then uh, then I started this. Yeah, but boy, that's a blow when you think about it. Like not everybody survives that, you know? Yeah, it's not easy losing your house and everything you ever made and all your retirement savings and starting at zero at age 50. But that's what I did. Yeah. How do you get up off the mat from that? You just do. I mean, yeah, yeah you just do. Yeah, yeah. As you said, faith, right? Yeah. There's a great line from Kierkegaard. Faith sees best in the, in the dark. Yeah. Right? Right. That's the thing. So you start integrity. And what's that like? You start from a standing stop, kind of. Well, it's actually a sense. great story. I don't know if you've ever heard it. And I, I'll try and be no. brief on it. I have a, a way of making a long answer to a short question. Um <laughs> The State Fund of Arizona at the time had 70% of the work comp market in Arizona. Okay, they were a semi-governmental, semi-private company. They had a very smart lawyer, uh, Don Smith, who was running them. And we had passed two pieces of legislation in Arizona. Um, and, and in order to pass legislation, the state fund had to be on board because you, you couldn't get it through without them reliance. So, so Don and I got to know each other fairly well as I ran the two bills that we did. Um, and he actually helped me. He, he We got in a big you know, he, whatever. Anyways, he helped me get them done. Anyways, he, out of the blue, he, he reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, Hey, this is about November. And he said, I'm busy till the end of the year, but call my secretary. I want to take you to lunch 
So January 3rd, first business day of the year, I go to lunch with Don Smith. He's a major guy. And at this time I'm living on grapefruit and grass clippings. <laughs> and, um, and he, uh, he goes, I, you know, we passed legislation to go from being a semi-private quasi-governmental agency to being a fully in fully private mutual company. And we got a three-year ramp to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just, just kind of smile like, yeah, I watched you do that. Now you guys are going to be zillionaires and the general fund of the, of the state is going to take it in the shorts, but good for you. You pulled it off. <laughs> Anyways, he goes, we've started seven insurance companies. We started an insurance agency. I want to start a PEO. He goes, I know every single PEO in Arizona. I know all of them by face. I know all of them by name. I don't trust any of them. You're the <laughs> only guy in this industry that I trust and I like. He goes, will you come build me a PEO? He goes, well, Will you help me? He goes, I don't even know what I'm asking. Will you help me? And I said, well, you know, first I thought I was on candy camera. I started kind of looking around <laughs> and, and I go, well, how many customers do you have? And he said, 30,000. Yeah, Don, I'll help you. <laughs> so Integrity Outsource started, I wrote a, a, a business plan and, and got it passed through their executive committee. Um, they put a corporate resolution on the table that said, we're starting a PEO, we're going to fund it for a half million, and we're only doing it with Joe Beers. And they all put their hands in the air, and their guy from Deloitte in the corner said, you know, we might have an issue, tax issue doing this. They're like, what are you talking about? We've been talking about this for 18 months. What do you mean we might have a tax issue? So long story short, they, they got cold feet and said, we, we can't really own it. Hmm. And we're sick about it, but we can't own it. And, and so I, I said, okay, how about but I own it and we do a strategic alliance. Yeah. And they go, wow, I never thought of that. How much money do you want? And I had a little angel whispering in my ear and said, you built one of these things for, you know, the last guy. Don't build it for these guys. And I said, you know what? No offense. I'd like to just go raise my own capital. Wow. And they go, okay, done. I don't even have to go to the board for that. So yeah. I, I think it's the biggest coup in PEO history. I mean, all <laughs> I got to do is walk into people that already have comp and take over their payroll. I mean, it's a big, I mean, we got 5% of their clients. We're the biggest PEO in Arizona and yeah. no time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go raise money, friends and family capital and the worst capital raise time in 2011 ever. Yeah. Staff up, got computers, got everything in, bring in their executive committee, show them we're ready to go. We're ready to launch. We're scalable right now. And from that point forward, it was like dealing with, you know, the Department of Motor Vehicles. I mean, it was just, <laughs> they, they just, the top guys all totally got it. But the people that had to execute stuff were a bureaucratic nightmare. And we were burning all of our capital raise on a monthly basis, trying to get these guys off the dime. And when we finally just had to pivot and go build a PEO because we knew how to do that. Yeah. And it just, it killed me because it's like, we were inches away from the biggest coup ever in this industry, yeah. I think. Yeah. And we would have been a monster immediately. Yeah. And and instead we went back to knocking on doors and just getting things done. So um this it's been a it's been a and it, you know, you guys got to see it was right when you were coming into Napio, I think. Um the economy recovered in in, in 11, 12, 13 yep. throughout the country, except for Arizona and Vegas. Yep. We were traditionally the first ones into it, recession, the first ones out. This last, that that last big recession, the Great Recession, we were the first ones in and the last ones last out. Last ones out. Yeah, yeah. And so every yeah. PEO was doing great. They were killing it, except yeah, yeah. for Phoenix. And yeah. we just couldn't, we, it took us forever to get yeah. out of the starting block. So we went from like this home run, you know, nirvana of having 30,000 warm calls to make yeah, to yeah. scraping for every deal we could get. Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell me about Integrity Outsource. 
Um, well, the the business model here, and and I won't pontificate too much on my my opinion of growth and why that is not the magic elixir that yeah. everybody thinks it is. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a mulligan for 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 most of the people that work here. <laughs> it's kind of their second shot. Everybody, um. Mo- Everybody works somewhere at some point where it's where it's hostile and it's yeah. and it's uncomfortable and you're just doing it because you got to get a paycheck. Yeah. And and so our our model from the very beginning is we had three tenants. If you came to work here, uh, the first one is you had to have a good moral basis. Okay, mm-hmm. you didn't have to share my faith, but yep. you got to have a very clear understanding of right and wrong. We're not yep. we're going to do things correctly. Yep. And then the second one is 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 you've got uh, you have to be a grown up. And and we walk through that. It's like here's what grown-ups do. Grown-ups show up on time. Hmm. Grown-ups do their work. And most importantly, grown-ups do not gossip. Okay. Hmm. You got something that you're not happy about, it goes up the chain, not across the chain or down. Hmm. And and then the third one is you have to be happy. If you're not hmm. happy, you can't work here. Yeah. Um, and and it it's a little different now because but when we first started, hmm. I heard you say this the other day. People would walk in, or maybe it was a different podcast. People would walk into our office and they'd be like, wow, what the atmosphere in here is like, what, what do you guys, how do you get this? Yeah. You can just feel it. Yeah. It just feels so good. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of been our model. It's really kind of built. It's not built for the, you know, the triumph of Joe beers. It's built to build lives for our people. Yeah. And, and so our deal is like, if you got a piano recital, I don't care. Just go, just make mm-hmm. sure the work gets done. And if you're done at three, don't don't sit at your desk till five. I don't care if you clock out at five. Go home. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you can mow your lawn in an hour, why would you take three hours to do it? Yeah. 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 So, how do you keep that culture? How do you maintain it? We keep each other accountable. Um, mm. The hybrid has been a challenge for us, like like most people. Yeah. Yeah. Today happens to be the day. Once a month, we do uh, we call it breaking bread. Mm-hmm. Everyone comes into the office and we have lunch together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we play a game. Sometimes we watch an inspirational video. You know, we might watch a, you know, a Pat Cleary speech just to get everybody all fired up. Um, and sometimes, well, we, sometimes we just enjoy each other's company. So slow, you know, slow news day to watch the Pat Cleary speech. <laughs> um, but it's, um, yeah, that that's pretty much what we do. And, and quite frankly, we just haven't, we haven't hit it really hard to try and sell, 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 sell. We just go spread the word. And, and in this industry, people close themselves. Um, yeah. you, you, you offer, you know, my, my pitch to people is like, look, you're going to need me. It's probably not today, but sometime yeah. in the next 18 months, you're going to have pain in one of these areas. And sometime in the next six months, one of your friends is going to have pain in these areas. Just call me. I mean, I've been leadership chair of Arizona forever. Yeah. If we're yeah. not the fit, I'll get you to the right fit. In fact, I've negotiated PEO contracts for people behind the curtain quietly with, with other companies so that they get a fair deal. Yeah. I mean, if they're in 50 States, we're not a good fit for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. get you to the right one. And I'll make sure you don't get schnookered. Yep. Yep. So you do, you still do sales calls. Oh yeah. 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 So, uh, and you sort of touched on this, but what is, what's, what's, what's the, what's the sales call for integrity Outsource? Oh, I thought you were going to ask the age old question of what's our, what's our, what's our better mousetrap so maybe we'll get well that that's part of the question right what is the better mousetrap so well, when you sell, I, I, like that's a, that's a different question for me that the sales call to me is it's really not a sales call um and, and there's a couple things the, the first is that the daily life of of generating new business especially in a small peo because you're not 
I'm not answering to a private equity firm or whatever and and mm-hmm. checking KPIs all day long. Um, we just go out and spread the word. We just go out and tell the story. And my theory is people remember meeting with you in person for about three days. Mm-hmm. So if you meet on Tuesday, by Friday, they, they kind of remember by the next Monday, they forget you even met. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of like having a, 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 a private trout pond with a hundred fish in it. <laughs> you got to feed the fish, right? You got to, you got to take yeah. care of them. Yeah. You're going to catch 25 to 35 of them. I don't know which ones, I don't know when, but you just got to take care of them and, and, and they will eventually come. And the way our world works is we just go tell the story. And when people are ready, they pick up the phone and they call and they go, okay, I'm ready. Now it's time. And, and our deal is real simple. It's like, look, um, nothing to start, pay as you go. I will refund your misery anytime you want it back. <laughs> you know, let me run two payrolls for you. If you don't like it, I'll refund your misery. Yeah. And and we make it, and this is where we differ from a lot of people is I, I think I think people should be able to get out of a PEO contract extremely easily. Mm-hmm. And and people, we just brought a client over that was miserable where they were, it took them six months to to disengage. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So my deal, and I, I put it into the, into the terms of whatever the client is. So let's say they're a, a sandwich shop, just as a hypothetical. So look, if I come in here and get a bad, bad experience, I don't pull out my sandwich grievance clause in my contract, and right? I just don't come back, right? right. right. Or if you're general, if you're subcontractors, like if you screw up a job, you don't get to bid the next one, right? right. Like right. Well, yeah. we're the same way. So. You you got an out my contract all the time and our contract all the time. Wow. So that serves two purposes. One, for a business owner, it makes it easy for you to enter the contract because you know you can get out of it. Mm-hmm. But it also benefits us because my people know there's no renewal date. There's no hooks. Our hook is that we do a good job. Mm-hmm. And if you're not happy with the job, dude, you can take it away anytime you want. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I always chuckle people talking about how great the retention rate is. Yeah. You're a PEO. Once somebody pulls the trigger, unless you're an idiot, they're probably not leaving. <laughs> so, so I mean, your retention rate is good. Yeah, well, it's. I'm sure it's over 90. I mean, yeah. I don't know yeah. what it was last year. I, haven't, I don't think we ever got around to measure it, but it's never been less than 95%. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And your NPA, your net promoter score is high. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the net promoter score is... The, I, you know, John Comandina, who I, I mm-hmm. hired, mm-hmm. the day I hired him was day one of the Marriott in Scottsdale um, PEO conference, mm-hmm. which was great because he came from enterprise and he got to see that it was a real industry. And we we came across a clearly rated booth and and John said, we need to do this. I'm like, eh, I'm, a, I'm an old <laughs> landlord, man. Landlords don't walk in and ask, how's yeah. it going? You right, just right. leave alone. They pay the rent. Yeah. And he goes, no, we need to do this. And so we did. And we got a 43. Mm-hmm. And that's not very good. No, but the feedback on that clearly rated deal, which I, I love that company, um, we found out that we had an income poop payroll tech and all of the complaints were one person. So we brought her in and said, Hey, we love you, but this is not the thing for you. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you a nice little package to go do something else. So bye-bye. Mm-hmm. The next year we jumped up to about 70 something. Then we got up to over 80 and last year we were 93%. So I don't know of anyone in the industry that's hired Nat. If they are, I'd like them to reach out and tell me. Um, but I think that's, I think that's tops in the country. Yeah, that's great. That is great. Um, okay. So what is the better mousetrap? <laughs> and I love this question. Um, I actually had an investor, uh, an investor friend brought in his CPA and, and he asked me that question. Really? And he asked it, how, how are you, how are you better than, and, and it's a, a company you would know. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, you know what, there's, there's two answers to that question. Um, um, 
the first one you're not going to like, and it's the <laughs> truth. And then I'll give you the answer you're looking for. So I'll do that in reverse order for you. Okay. <laughs> um, the answer that the stock answer is our differentiator is we're like any other local company versus any other big company. It doesn't matter what the industry is. We're here. We're local. We're right over there. No one's going to ask you for your client number. You're not going to have a new payroll tech every 90 days. You know, we know who you are. You know who we are. You can check on us. You can walk in the door. Worst case scenario is you walk in the lobby and say, I need help. And somebody helps you. And the people you're talking to are the people that actually fix the problem. Yeah. You don't have to go to Texas or Atlanta or somewhere to, to get an answer. Yeah. Everyone just, it's right here. You got my cell phone. I live right over there. And and I've gotten in my car and driven $23 paychecks to Tucson to make sure a guy got paid. I mean, I, that's what we do. Yeah. So, okay, big whoop. I mean, that's 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 the stock answer. But here's the real answer. And, and it cracks me up that nobody talks about this. Pat, we don't have to be different than anybody else. The industry has a 15% market share, yeah, for yeah. God's sakes. There's 85% of the market out there never even heard of us. So it, it, it is, I don't have to be... I don't have to be even remotely different than any other PEO or any other outsource provider. I just got to go get my share. And, and the way you get your shares, you just go show up and tell the truth. And, and the good Lord sends you the ones you're supposed to get. It's not that complicated. You don't yeah. have to come up with some cute little gimmick or some little angle or some better mousetrap. You just got to go do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And, and there's enough of the market out there. Um, it just works. And and yeah. I don't, you know, and, and yeah. again, Arizona is different than a lot of markets. This is not Florida. I, I would have a different strategy if I was in Florida. Yeah. Um, the decision of a company makes primarily in Arizona, and it's partly it's because of the way we present it too, is are you going to use me or not? Mm. It's not who are you going to use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Exactly. So you've seen, uh, you've been through the ups and downs of the industry. What's the state of the industry today? And what's the outlook? The The industry is is I don't want to say unbelievably, but beautifully healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, when I, my, my first Napio conference was on Knob Hill in San Francisco. And <laughs> I looked around the room and I went up to the hotel room with the guy I was with. And I went, if that's the competition, we're all going to be gazillionaires because they're a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, how easy is this going to be? And, and now you walk in and there's every major, everybody, I mean, the, the quality of people just sitting around a board meeting, it blows me away. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, I think we all get imposter syndrome. It's like, why am I sitting here? I mean, there's <laughs> amazing people at this table. Um, so the, the industry is really healthy. And it, when we started our company, I I had the the mindset, and I still have the mindset is, yeah, I've never been a big PEO waiver. I'm a I'm a solve business problems waiver mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. And and we're just gonna go talk to small businesses and provide them what they need. And I yeah. right now it's PEO. That yeah. may change. Yeah. And that's one reason we're called Integrity Outsource and not something PEO, because if we have to pivot and outsource, you know, IT or business processing yep. or something different, yep. then we will. Yep. Um, we haven't had to because the industry has boomed. And yeah. I, I mean, in, in all honesty, you're a big part of that. You've you've led led the troops well in that in that respect. So well, thank you. Um, I, I, had yeah, a, so I had a little help. You know, I had a little yeah, but, <laughs> but nonetheless. What's the outlook? I, th I think the outlook's good. I mean, I think there's definitely some headwinds. Um, what are they? The headwinds are bigger for the us little guys than they are for the big guys. And how so? Um, the a AI yeah. um, concerns me yeah. uh, greatly, yeah. and it isn't. I, I I have no 
no wish, no fear that it's going to replace what we do. I don't, that's not even a factor to me. Um, as, as Baron Gus so beautifully says, you can't get a haircut over the internet. <laughs> you can't click your way through an HR problem. You need to have somebody who knows your culture, knows you, and can help you navigate. So I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is the bad guys using it to penetrate sensitive yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's a possibility. And it's not just us. It's all our vendors and our clients and everybody else. And it's just that scares me a great deal, more, yeah. more than anything ever has in this deal. And we've weathered a lot of storms. I mean yeah. – what, yeah. what you and the team did, um, Tom and and uh, Kristen and the others at, at you know in the at the PPP loan, you know, eleventh hour, 59th minute. That saved, that saved an industry. Yeah, those were uh, those were interesting days. Yeah. So, anyways, I mean, I, I, that's my biggest concern in the industry. I'm not worried yeah. about the the market disruptors or all the other things. There, there, there's always going to be room. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. You're right. We got 15 percent of the 10 to 100 employee market, like. We got plenty of room. What's your advice to uh, newcomers, people new to the industry? I, you know, I, I love the saying when you've when you've seen one PEO, you've seen one yeah, PEO. Yeah, yeah. And and I'll I guess I'll just tell a quick story. One of the first NAPL conferences I went to, when we started DHR, the guys I worked with did wanted nothing to do with NAPL. I'm like, well, I'll go. I mean, somebody's got to go represent us. I'll go. Yeah, right, right. And and one of the first things is I was at a dinner table with Richard Rawson of mm-hmm. of Insperity. Richard won't know me from Adam, but we we're brand new. I knew nothing about the industry. And and I, I asked him over dinner, I'm like, can I ask you how you guys do something? And his response changed my attitude forever. And this is the advice I would give to everybody coming into the industry. He goes, Joe, you can ask me any question you want about how we do things. You can call me anytime and I will either tell you how we do it or I'll tell you I can't tell you. He said, but don't not call. Wow. And and it's like, wow, this guy's the CFO of the market leader. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just a schlep with, you know, three clients. And that's amazing. Yeah. And and you see it every day. I mean, that's how our industry is. So what I would encourage people to do is to, you know, it is to reach out and ask and ask and ask and ask. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the way we got Prism software is we started we started to look at different HR, you know, as HR pyramid at the time, we started looking at different softwares. And about 90, we looked at one, I think. And then I what am I doing? I picked up the phone. I made like five phone calls across the country. Yeah. What do you use? What do you use? What do you use? Yeah. Hung up, walked down to my CFO and go, just go get HR pyramid. <laughs> They've already done the work. They, right, right, right. Right. It's exactly right. Okay. So, so my advice about- is just ask, 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 ask. Yeah, yeah. Don't, uh, it's great don't think that somebody else's business model is what you have to do because yeah. you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Sigma Chi. And your work with them. So, uh, you know, after being in Sigma Chi, uh, you spend a lot of time on it. You care about it a lot. But tell me about that. Well, it's, um, as you can see over here, this mm-hmm. is the white cross of Sigma Chi. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what's called the Order of Constantine. Mm-hmm. So the Order of Constantine is the, uh, the, the we, 20 guys are selected a year. And, and you have to have 20 years of service in and get nominated and get selected. And it's about, I think it's about, Two tenths of one percent of people make it into Order of Constantine, so that's like the biggest honor I've ever gotten. Um, but I, when I when I went through Rush as a sophomore, you know, there, there's a and I speak at, all over the place for Sigma Chi for to college kids. You can have a great college fraternity experience in a lot of places, and and they all profess to have whatever values and stuff. The group when I happened to go through um, was number one scholastically, uh, dominated student government dominated the honoraries and they weren't very they weren't very big but when i went to the rush parties they they 
they talked about what their values were and what they believed in. And it was the first time I had ever heard the values I had been raised with by my parents articulated in a way that I could make my own. It's like, wow, I can, I can, I can build a life with that. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe articulated in a way that I can actually walk that out. And it wasn't like sitting in a pew listening to a sermon. It was like, wow, this is something that's real that I can actually run with. And it, you know, our cross is a white cross. It's reflective of our ideals. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where it started. I started as philanthropy chairman. Then I was social chairman and I threw such good parties. They made me president. (laughs) Um, And, and then from president, I went to work for my chapter advisor in real estate. And, you know, I've had, you know, my punch card is just about about full with every position you could have had, um, save a few. (laughs) And so I I just have been pouring into, you know, collegiate young men, teaching them how to run an organization. And these guys like Arizona or pick one, Alabama, the SEC schools, these guys are running half million to million dollar companies. Yeah. Yeah. And they they have a new treasurer every year. And, you know, I mean, it's like, good luck with that. You know, talk about 990 form filings, you know, who did that in the last eight years? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I mean, it, (laughs) and, and so um, I just love uh, that part of it, because it it instills values in guys and it gives them a path that they can live while they're in college. But what differentiates Sigma Chi from any other fraternity is you will never, ever hear a guy say, I was a Sigma Chi. If you ever ask somebody, were you in a college fraternity? You'll hear, oh yeah, I was a blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You will never hear Sigma Chi. They will always say, I am a Sigma Chi. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, ask Tim Graham, ask Brian Nugent, ask you know, the guys in our ranks that are, that are Sigma Chi's. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what that's done is it's just a lifelong commitment to a set of ideals. And mm-hmm. then when you, and, and what that translates into most fraternities have about 300 volunteers. Mm-hmm. We, we have 3000. Our, our foundation I think is bigger than the next eight combined. We're going to cure cancer at the Huntsman cancer center in, in Salt Lake city. That's our plan. This generation, we're going to end cancer. That's our mission. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. The, the undergrads raise about 3 million a year for that. I mean, that it, it's, it's, it's astounding. Yeah. We also went out and, and every fraternity's got puts their flag in something. Ours is leadership. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the top of any organization, there's a Sigma Chi there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could spend my 30th birthday at Barry Goldwater for four hours, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And that's only because I'm a Sigma Chi and he's from Arizona and it, it, that was pretty cool. Yeah. But we, we started something a few years ago that was a moonshot. We started the Sigma Chi Leadership Institute. And we went through a full college accreditation for our leadership institute. So we are now a fully accredited institution of higher learning. We have we have nine accredited classes, so kids can take these classes. And the universities love it because we're bringing soft skills that the, that the corporate America has been begging for. The kids aren't coming out of business school with. Yeah, yeah. We're teaching them leadership skills. So we got distance leadership, which is what you and I are doing now. Mm-hmm. On Zoom. Mm-hmm. we got. I'm teaching servant leadership next next month mm-hmm. at. Um, uh, Bowling Green University. So I have to get certified as a teacher. So I'm certified to teach three different classes. And it just, it, it, it changes these young men's lives yeah. and it makes them better students, better husbands, better dads, yeah. better employees. Yeah. Yeah. The community, it just spreads and it's, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. And then the, the icing on the cake is I just get to meet guys that I have no business being in the same room with. I'm, I mean, <laughs> astronauts and funny car drivers and secret service agents and, you know, people that just are amazing human yeah. beings that are now close, close friends that, that I just, if not for that, I would never be in that yeah. ring. So, um, okay. So my favorite question, last question always is uh, something we don't know about you. So your life has changed a lot. I don't know if you want <laughs> to talk about that. 
You want to talk about something else? Well, should we talk about me being 6'4 before the accident? Or is that... Uh... <laughs> No, the, the, the scratch golfer, I think. No, I'm not a scratch golfer. People say that, and they they don't know what that means. That's I'm no, I'm not even remotely close to a scratch. I'm trying golf. to help you out, man. That's no, no, that's that's not how golf works, man. It's I'm terrible now. It's a lot of work. Um, Talk you know, about anything you want, but you've, well, you've been through some stuff. So I I, uh, I did start a party in college that was ranked in the top ten parties of all. Rolling Stone magazine ranked it in the top 10 parties of all time. That's, or, bragging, of college. that's bragging rights, right? There. You know, that that's, you know, when you make Rolling Stone magazine for throwing a party, that's, that's pretty good <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, I don't really know. I'm, I, uh, I used to be an exceptionally good, uh, foosball player. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's something you probably don't know. Okay. Um, the, yeah. uh, in fact, I think I was magna cum laude in foosball. That's, in, fantastic. Um, that's fantastic. Um, which is a which is a skill set. It almost got me fired once because I was at a company party, and the number two and number three guys of a big company I was working for wanted to play foosball. And after two games, the number two guy said, "I'm calling the University of Arizona on Monday because there's no way you graduated college. <laughs> Nobody that plays foosball like that ever graduated college." Um, no, I don't know. I mean that. I've written two books. That might be something you don't know. I'm working on my third one right now. I do. Um, what, what are they? Well, the first one is, um, it is, it's just, it started out as a short story and I sent it to some friends and every one of them said, well, what's next? What happens next? Mm-hmm. And so it evolved out. It's, it's, uh, it's about topics I know well, which are a guy's weekend that morphs into more than that. And what guys do to each other when they're alone on a trip, um, gambling and, and, uh, inviting and things they shouldn't invite in and mm-hmm. and uh and gambling and all, all that kind of stuff and it's, it's called the redheaded stepchild invitational mm-hmm. um and it, it's just really fun it's just a fun funny read all right. All right. and then the, the second one i wrote is a is a collection of essays mm-hmm. um and i'm hoping to get it printed i've just procrastinated ready to go to print i just haven't done it yet mm-hmm. um it's actually written to my kids mm-hmm. it's 30 chapters long and it's uh 10 chapters on adventures and life experiences. Um, for instance, I was on a murder jury trial, things like that, or, or a camping experience or, you know, a, a, a brush with fame or whatever. Um, and then there's, there's a, a section on, uh, service and faith and, and, um, and recovery. I'm, I'm, you know, you're aware, but listeners not be aware I'm 36 years sober. And so there's, there's 10 chapters on that. Yeah. Uh, and that's and, what I was my, alluding to. Like your life now is different than it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, some of you guys, you know, drink scotch over 80 years. I got all mine done in 25. So <laughs> I was just much more efficient with my consumption than, than other people were. Yeah. But, you know, I've got that disease where I can't stop yeah. once I start. So you can't start. So it's yeah, 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 yeah. not that big a deal. It's just one of those deals. God blessed me to, to wake up and, and, and turn, turn a different way. So that's going years? good. What's that? Thirty six. Yeah. Yeah. God bless you. Uh, and then the, the the last section of that book is is on mostly on family, mm-hmm. and it's you know um, my mom died of Alzheimer's, and and during that time my my two oldest brothers and I and my father had an email string going about what was going on. It's like for instance one of the chapters is just that dialogue, and you can just kind of see what that whole progression is like. Yeah. Um. And then the last chapter is just kind of what you know what did I learn while I was alive? If I was gone yeah. tomorrow. Here's what I learned. Yeah. And so it, 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 it's kind of a night, 
a nightstand book you can pick up and just read any chapter. Yeah. Um, and it's to my kids, but I think everybody will enjoy it. And then my last book is a is a chronicle of of uh, I haven't quite got my voice on it yet. I've only got a, probably two or three thousand words written. It's um it's about growing up and where I grew up and the families I grew up with and the the, the specialness of what we still. I mean, I've got a group of friends that there's like a dozen of us that go back to first grade. Yeah. And we are just as thick as thieves and and we've had to bury about four of them, three of them from this disease. And it's, it's, uh, it, yeah. it's just, a, it'll be a special book. I'm just trying to make sure I get the right voice on it. You're a writer. So you know how that goes. Yeah. 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 No, it's great. And, and Alzheimer's by the way, uh, back to that, I call it the hollowing out of a person, right? I went through that yeah. with my dad and they just, they get hollowed out. You look at them, but they're, they're not there. Right. Yeah. It's they're, tough. Just so that's out. my, that's God 36. You, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. It's, it's all coin. It's all grace. Yeah. So it's, and uh, was 36 years a coin? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Ironically, my sobriety date is 420. So yeah. <laughs> 420 wasn't a thing 36 years it ago, but it is no, now. It became a thing. That's exactly right. And you, you've hiked the canyon a few dozen times, right? Uh, I've hiked the Grand Canyon 10 times. Um, we do it, try and do it every year, the last weekend of April. I'm going to try and put together a big trip this year and get some, some Napier people to do it. It, it sounds a lot more daunting than it is. I mean, it's, it's no joke, but it's, yeah. it's very doable. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm no great hiker. I'm just a guy that likes to do it. And then, then and if you've never seen been down in that Canyon, there's just nothing like it, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there, we have one of, one of our regular guys is an atheist and we, we just tease him relentlessly. It's like, walk me through this whole atheism thing, dude. I mean, we're <laughs> look around, tell me how that works. Yeah. Well, once they put in an escalator, I'm I'm in. I'm going to do well, it. and the thing that's nice too is you don't have to do the whole thing. There's lots yeah, of yeah, other yeah. little, you know, yeah. smaller hikes yeah. you can do. But but you're right, uh, you're right. Seeing uh, nature, uh, you you start to feel pretty. Small. And I, and I love getting out. I've I've been to yeah. 23 national parks and hope to do a whole bunch more. That's great. That is great. So are you still giving golf lessons to Manus or not? You're helping him out. A I little think bit? Manus would absolutely smoke me if we played. <laughs> I, I here's here's the deal. <laughs> The best way I can describe it is, is golf and I had a wonderful romance till I was about 35 and then I broke up with her mm-hmm. and she's been wanting to get back together ever since. No. But the problem is she's really high maintenance yes. and she takes a lot of work. And yes. even when I treat her really, really well, yeah. sometimes she's still just awful to me. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know if I really want to put in the work, but yeah. when she's good, there's nothing better, but man, she's not good very often. Yeah. She's only yeah. good occasionally. I- I, I never did it, and I say it's a little vial of heroin, you know, that first swing of the club, and it's that's it. I've seen too many lives ruined, Joe. I've seen too well, many ruined by golf, and so I've, I've avoided it, assiduously avoided it. And life. Manis will will appreciate this because he's he's lived it, um, probably more so than I have. But I played amateur tournament golf till I was about 35, and and just at a low level, like state amateur kind of stuff. And I was never good enough to win anything, but I just loved the competing of it. But tournament golf, it's it's almost a completely different sport than golf. I mean, it, it's not like Saturday with your friends, even if you're playing for a zillion dollars. Yeah. It's tournament golf is just different. I mean, your your name's on a board and yeah. you're putting your peg on the ground yeah. and you ain't done till you're on an 18 and you're pulling out and there's a number going up next to your name yep. and all yep. your friends are standing We're ready there. To see. And yeah. man, it is really humiliating if yeah. it's a bad number. <laughs> and, and I hadn't played anything competitively until last fall. I played my first competitive tournament in 25 years. Mm-hmm. And I finished right in the middle of the pack, but even that, it was like that's just lame. I mean, it's just no. <laughs> so it's, yeah. There's a lot of brain damage. It's kind of like an old romance. 
It's like, yeah, I don't want to go back there. It's bad. No, I, I, I totally agree. But don't say I'm a scratch golfer because I am nowhere <laughs> near a scratch golfer. Well, I'm always, I'm promoting you. I'm, I'm helping you out. It does, that's doesn't help. <laughs> well, Joe, I want to thank you, pal. And again, to your point, you've been our, the Arizona LC chair for my entire time here, which I appreciate. Uh, we finally, I think, uh, coaxed you onto the board. Uh, I really, I, you know, I've always enjoyed our friendship and, you know, you've always been, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't even say contrarian. It's just kind of like a different look. You're not a yes man. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So you're like, okay, but let's think about this a little bit. It's like, oh crap, Joe's going to make me think about it. Like, I will never kiss the ring. Right? <laughs> no. And, and, uh, and, and it's been great. I, I really have enjoyed our, our association, our friendship and, and you make us better, made the industry better. And your mark is on us through everything we do. And I love having you at the board table and it's been, it's been great. And as our, our man in Arizona is lonely out there sometimes like, like dances with wolves, like the lone outpost in Arizona. <laughs> I, I love that you guys think that. And I, and I, you know, the, the industry owes a giant thank you to you. You really have helped lead. Thanks pal. I mean, you've got a great team, but you yeah, helped yeah. lead that team in, 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 uh, in to a, to a lot of, I mean, we are the shiny penny now and the, we're the pretty girl at the dance and in a yeah. lot of places we go and that's, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, it really has been great. So, yeah, so uh, Joe Beers, Integrity Outsource, thank you, pal. I really do appreciate it. And uh, uh, this is great. I appreciate the time today and uh, appreciate you being the, the, uh, a willing victim uh, for the podcast. <laughs> so thank you, pal. Thank you. Thank you.